This is Dr. Michael Bricky with Ageless Lifestyles Radio, cutting-edge thinking for being youthful at every age. On each program, I interview experts on what it takes to live longer, healthier, and happier. Our program takes a holistic approach in addressing anti-aging psychology, medicine, alternative medicine, fitness, nutrition, and wellness. Our emphasis is on innovative thinking and practices that have solid data and results. I admit it, I'm an incurable romantic and love romantic movies like You've Got Mail. You remember Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan falling deeper in love with every email? It was also a great product placement coup for AOL. And while AOL email is near extinction, online dating is second only to porn and internet paid content. Not just for kids, more than 5 million people over 55 have used online dating. Today, online dating psychologist Dr. Jim Haran will help us learn how to meet Mr. Wright or Ms. Wright and reduce the chances of getting burned or even flamed. I chose Dr. Haran because of his very insightful, helpful, and research-based columns in OnlineDatingMagazine.com. Very good content there. Dr. Jim is, and I'll call you that because that's the title of your column, I've been married 22 years, but let's imagine that I were single. I remember the single days vividly, and I wanted to try online dating to meet somebody. I gathered you'd start by asking me qualifying questions like, is my intent superficial, soulmate, or sex? Where would you have me start if I'm looking for a committed relationship? Well, if you're looking for a committed relationship, you need to ask yourself one other question. What are you doing or what are you willing to do to get it? Online dating is tremendous in that it expands our social circles. We're able to meet people from around the country, even around the world, people that we never would have come in contact with before. So you need to ask yourself, just how far am I willing to throw my net? So is part of this like a job application? How much work are you willing to do to get that resume ready? And <laughs> Absolutely, except the benefits of finding that right partner really exceed that of even work. Oh, hopefully it lasts longer than most jobs well, we hope these so, days. you know, especially since the economic downturn is not a very good example right now of job security, but we all want relationship security, whatever that means for us. And absolutely, you need to ask yourself, am I looking for somebody nearby or am I willing to have a little bit of an adventurer in myself and cast my net a little more widely? Am I willing to relocate to find love? Am I willing to maybe help pay for someone to relocate to me to find love? You need to ask yourself these very practical questions because online dating, you know, if you find someone, things tend to develop rather quickly. Relationships online form more quickly than they do offline. I had never thought of very many people relocating or paying relocation expenses. Is that pretty common? Well, I can tell you that a lot of Russian bride scams, yes. <laughs> people lose a lot of money, actually, forking over money for someone to come and be with them. And, of course, those are scams, and we should be all aware of those types of issues. But the basic issue still remains, and that is, what are you willing to do to find and achieve love? And in this world anymore, just like jobs are global, so is romance. And people need to first, before they ever go and research a site, before they ever sign up, they need to ask themselves some very practical questions. And the first, again, is, how far are you willing to reach to find that partner? And then second of all, Yes, you need to identify define your intentions, by and large, but you also need to have a good understanding of, well, how should I say this? What are your deal makers and your deal breakers? 
there's such a wide variety of online dating sites that you can get very specific in what you're looking for in a partner. But it's best that you have that in mind first because you certainly don't want to lead someone on with unrealistic expectations. And likewise, if you don't have in mind right now kind of what you're looking for, it can be very much a, a painful process. So the intent is how serious you are, the reach, you primarily are referring to geographic reach? Exactly. And how serious you are is mostly how much effort you're willing to put into it? That, as well as, are there certain characteristics or traits that you absolutely will not settle for or that you absolutely must have in a relationship? So this is the sites like the site just for Democrats or a site just for Republicans because, oh, I couldn't stand to get along with somebody with the other party or somebody that feels they have to have somebody who's a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim or black or white or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. We all have in our minds deal breakers and deal makers if we really think about them. And hopefully we're not so rigid in our worldview that we're not a little flexible, especially if we meet that person that seems perfect in every other respect. But for some people, they have clear needs in very specific areas, so you need to have those in mind too because that will help dictate what type of sites you go to and how you behave on those sites. I suspect some people actually aren't honest with themselves that there are some deal breakers, but it's not politically correct to admit that to yourself, and so they look everywhere instead of getting focused. That can certainly happen, but there is a peculiar feature of online dating and just actually online interaction in general, and that is people tend to be more honest online because you know, there's this bit of anonymity. Even though we are starting to disclose ourselves a little bit in a personal profile and when we start to communicate, by and large, there's this barrier between people that is not in offline dating. You're speaking through a box, and that actually gives a lot of freedom for a person to disclose more about themselves, to be much more honest. And since you're meeting potentially so many different people, it's easier to take rejection in the sense that if I don't find what I need from, you know, somebody this week, well, there's always next week. There's always this other thousand people I can explore. So it's, it's a much easier laid-back process than it is with traditional offline dating. I, and I suspect that's a surprise to a lot of people that online dating can be more honest. And I find the same thing in coaching, that a lot of times when we're just coaching by phone, people are more free and, and open than when you're face-to-face -face and they have to look you in the eye. Exactly. And this does come as a surprise to many people because we're so used to face-to-face -face interaction. And when we think that, well, if we're not face-to-face, -face, there's a better chance that I can deceive somebody or I can exaggerate something. And that happens to a degree. But again, that notion that there's this anonymity with online interaction is actually very, very liberating. Mm -hmm. Now, with the niche sites, we've got the advantage of the deal breakers and the advantage that you instantly have something in common with someone. Are there other reasons to gravitate to a niche site? Well, in a way, yes. And that is already people are somewhat qualified in terms of their seriousness. If people have gone to the trouble of finding a niche site and actually registering, that tells you a little bit about what their commitment level is. Niche sites are different than what I call the Walmart dating sites, the Match.com, the Yahoo Personals, where you get a just a plethora of different types of people from all walks of life with all different types of intentions. But people that are very focused in what they think that they want, these are people that tend to be very committed to the process. They tend to be much more open, and they're going to be much more candid with you on what they will or won't tolerate in a partner. So in some sense, if you go to a niche site, you're probably going to find someone that's a little bit more self-centered 
or grounded than you would if you were just going to a general dating site and just randomly emailing somebody. Is there an advantage then in starting with the general Walmart site instead of the niche site? Well, actually there is, especially if dating is new to somebody. If somebody has lost a partner through divorce, maybe through death, they're getting back into the dating game, it's much easier to people watch. And it's better to people watch on a broad site because you get a sense of what the culture is like with online dating, how people talk, what sort of the lingo is, what is expected. It's called netiquette. And it's a good place to practice. Practice reading profiles, learning how to write your own, getting feedback. It's a very safe environment to explore and test different things, test different ways of expressing yourself, how people respond to certain photos you might put up. And it's sort of, sort of a uh, audition period that once you've learned and you feel comfortable moving then up to the big leagues, move to a niche site, a, a site where you feel you're ready now to really engage someone, get to know them, and possibly take that relationship offline if it feels right. Many years ago when I was a student at Ohio State, there were two men for every woman, and if you took out the ones who were engaged or pinned or married, it was hard to get a date. <laughs> Do some of the sites have a lot more men than women? I would think it'd be a big advantage to find the ones that are skewed in your favor. Yes, and you know I've heard many different statistics on this, and, and at any given point in time, it's probably very difficult to know for sure how many, what, how many men to, to women there are on any site. I can tell you, though, that generally speaking, the research has suggested that on serious compatibility sites, I'm talking sites like eHarmony, uh, PerfectMatch.com, sites that are really selling marriage, they're really trying to link up people for long-term committed relationships, and primarily marriage is the definition of that. Mm -hmm. There tend to be more women on those sites than men. Hmm. With mutual funds... We have free ones and the, the no-load and the, the loaded funds, and the research finds that the free ones do just as well as the ones where you have to pay a load fee. Do the free online dating sites, are, are they as good as the paid ones? Well, the short answer is yes, they can be. But again, online dating, it only gives you as much as you put in it. And so if you are committed, uh, committed as far as putting the time and energy, posting quality photos, having quality interactions and communications with other people, you'll tend to get that back. But if you're very laissez-faire about it, not very concerned with how you present yourself or how often you pay attention to your profile or update a photo, well, you shouldn't expect a lot in return. So just like investments, you need to nurture them. You need to watch them. And if you do that, paid dating sites are an excellent, excellent way to, again, broaden your horizons. Oftentimes, people that sign up on an online dating site, they don't just stay with one. They have their profile on many different sites. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to load the dice to find that perfect partner. In my field, the joke is you have to kiss many frogs to find that prince or princess. <laughs> and with online dating, not only can you expand your social horizons exponentially on just one site, but again, if you change your focus from using a large dating site to a niche site to maybe a free site versus paid, you really are covering your bases in a way that you never could on just a single site and you certainly ever never could if you never tried online dating to begin with. The whole process isn't magic, but it's just finding ways to intelligently increase your odds, both by getting your offer out to more people, but also packaging yourself so that you really get your message across and distinguish yourself from other people, and people really get to know you easily. Exactly. And in the past, that was very difficult to do if you were trying to meet someone through traditional means. We typically, or at least research has said, we typically have met our mates. 
either by accident we bumped carts into a grocery store, you know, <laughs> or we were introduced by family and friends, or it was a coworker. So three main ways we met our mates. But now with online dating, our opportunities are just tremendous in so many different ways. And people don't realize this, but online dating is not just about finding a partner. It's also about finding friends and feeling connected and getting feedback. And it's a wonderful way for people to broaden their social horizons, not just their romantic ones. You talked about plenty of fish. So I looked up that site, and Marcus there talks about how he has more than 900,000 active daily users. That means every day 900,000 people are using that? More or less. That's what the stats seem to show. And he says, and I'm a big believer in follow the money, that most of the paid sites make their money from marriage only or adult services. What's that? What that means is there's, again, a sort of a skewness in what a person's intentions are. If people go to an online dating site, it's typically for one of actually three reasons. Two are more prominent. First is a long-term committed relationship. Typically, we define that as marriage, although marriage is, of course, not the only um, way of defining a long-term committed relationship. But finding a lifelong partner, let's say that, a soulmate, mm -hmm. that's the number one reason. The second reason is for a casual encounter, shall we say. I don't want to take someone home to mom, but I do want to take them away for the weekend. That sort of agenda. And there's, there's a third agenda. And these are people that are basically serial online daters. They have no intention of settling down with anybody. And they don't really have a lot of intentions on meeting people offline necessarily. They just geared towards the fantasy of online dating. They just like talking to people, sharing fantasies, but never really trying to realize anything. So you have three different types of daters, generally speaking. But the, the where the money is in online dating is exactly what you said. It's either in soulmates or casual encounters. But you know what? Research tells us something else. And that is when push comes to shove, if you ask people to choose between one of three choices, are you looking just for a long-term relationship? Are you looking just for short-term relationship? Or is your mind open up to both, depending on the circumstances? By and large, people say they're open up to both. They'll go either way. It just depends on the circumstances and who they happen to come in contact with. <laughs> Want to cover all the bases. The, exactly. The, the niche sites for seniors, how are they different from the other sites? Well, it's interesting that the senior citizen population is one of the largest growing populations using online dating. And I must say that I have not researched the senior sites as well as I probably should have. So I can't talk about the specifics, how it's different. But I can tell you in generalities what I've been told from doing focus groups with online daters, especially from the senior sector. And that is those types of sites tend to be more user-friendly. You don't have to know as much about computers. You don't have to know all the lingo that people use now in cyberspace. They try to keep it very simple. So again, you don't have to be so in tune with the culture of cyberspace. It makes it much easier for you to transition if you're used to traditional dating to now communicating and connecting with people online. Much easier. And two, generally speaking, those types of people that, again, put a profile up on a senior site and are active users, they're qualified people. Qualified in the sense that they probably know what they want. They're not there for just casual encounters. They really do want to find some level of companionship. And let me emphasize that word companionship. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking just about romantic partners. Oftentimes, people that are in their senior years act a lot like younger people. They don't necessarily want to commit to a, a long-term relationship. Maybe they're looking for a fun date. Maybe they're looking to expand their circle of friends. Maybe they're looking for a travel companion. But they're looking for companionship, but they're not necessarily looking to settle down. 
So the emphasis on marriage at senior sites tends to be less than it is to, to sites that are really catering to people that are more in their late 20s and 30s and 40s. So you got a nice bell curve of the youngest people and the seniors aren't as interested in marriage as the middle section. You know, that comes as a surprise to a lot of people, but actually it makes perfect sense. Seniors that have been through a marriage or maybe a couple of relationships, they realize that, you know, this really is the golden time of my life. And I don't have to put some sort of rigid definition around what a successful relationship it is to me. And you know what, maybe I don't want to commit myself to the way that I did to my my former spouse. And they're really just looking for companionship at that stage, not necessarily a romantic partner. Now, that doesn't mean that seniors, of course, can't fall in love and want to start a family or whatever the case may be. But it usually doesn't start with a soulmate frame of reference. It starts with a companionship frame of reference. I read literature that says we have cougars and (laughs) that a third of women are dating younger men. But you say online, it's not that way. Well, again, in the online world, you know, social norms don't always hold. And things like age and, again, location of where you are, they matter less in cyberspace than they do in the real world. And so you have people really broadening their horizons, coming to dating and romance and just building their social circle with a very open mind. And so you will see young guys communicating with older women, older women communicating with young guys. And so the horizons really are broadened. That's not to say that those types of interactions will always lead to a relationship or an affair. But again, it's just broadening your horizons, and really, that can help you grow as a person. Whether or not you ever meet your soulmate with online dating, or whether you have a a boyfriend or girlfriend that comes from the experience, just the experience of broadening your horizons and trying to expand your definition of, what is an ideal partner for me? These are growth experiences, and oftentimes, the kinds of experiences that you can't get with traditional ways of meeting people. One of your columns said that among seniors, both the men and the women want younger partners. Yes. And again, it goes to, in your mind, what is your ideal mate? It's probably not Phyllis Diller. You know? I mean, we all dream of the ideal woman or the ideal man. And let's be, let's be frank about this. Typically, we're talking about people in the prime of their life, not the golden years. And you know what? If a person can link up or hook up with someone that is in better physical condition than you are, that still has all that youth and beauty that goes along with with that stage of life, more power to you, I guess. That's the beauty now of at least relationships nowadays, that things like age are less a factor. It's more about compatibility on psychological elements, less on the physical or the age. Wow. Now, you say the biggest mistake that people make is not having multiple high-quality photos on their listing. Absolutely. That is one of the biggest mistakes that people make, and that is they do not market themselves well. And the first and foremost way you market yourself is with a good quality photograph. And oftentimes people don't think about this. They think that it's what's superficial. Looks shouldn't matter. Well, actually, Mother Nature is programmed in us that looks actually do matter, not just for the sense of for sex, but that Good looks, attractiveness also indicates health. So there's a lot of evolutionary reasons why we are attracted to people that are very attractive from a very traditional standpoint. So when it comes to online dating, the first thing that people instinctively look for is, how do you look? Is this person physically appealing to me? And the best way to gauge that is with a quality photograph that is recent, not something that was taken 10, 15 years ago, but recent within the past, say, three months and is a good close-up photo of your face. 
and if you have to have supplemental photos, then you consider showing your pet dog, or maybe you show yourself doing some sort of a sport or personal interest, or maybe you show a, a photo of you standing who you can emphasize your body type. But first and foremost, show a good close-up and recent photograph of your face, because that is instinctively what we are first looking for to screen out a partner. And back at that theme that you had earlier of investing the time and the effort, you say have multiple photographs if the site permits it and to rotate the photographs because the internet loves fresh content and you're going to come up more on the searches. Absolutely. Again, it's all about marketing. And unfortunately, there is a downside to online dating because there are so many sites and there are millions of people on each of those sites, competition is stiff. It's easy to get locked in the mix. You know, it's sort of like, where's Waldo? So you have to stand out. Just like where's Waldo, you have to stand out. And I don't recommend using a white and red striped shirt. You want to stand out in other ways, and that is increasing your chances that on searches people run on these dating sites, you're going to come up in a list. And the way that most dating sites work is they give preference to rankings, to people that are more active on their site and people that refresh their content. Again, dating sites work because of people interacting with other people. So online daters that sign up and never use the site, they are no use whatsoever to an online dating site. So they give preference to people that seem to take the process seriously, that are engaged, and that are using the site more than other people. So the way you do that is you use the site more than other people, not just by emailing or sending out instant messages to people, but by refreshing your content every so often. Rewrite your profile, put up some new photos, but do something that shows you're active and you're committed and you're engaged to the process. I would think a lot of people are going to be reluctant to do this because they're going to say, oh my goodness, I'm 50 pounds overweight, who's going to want a fatty? And you say, yes, that's a factor, but... When people are doing that one-second scan, they're not just looking for beauty, but they're also looking at, does this person look comfortable? Do they look friendly? Do they look approachable? And I don't think people usually think of that. That's an excellent point, and research bears out what you're talking about. They were, they've done studies where they've watched men and women interact in bars, but they were not aware that they were being watched. And they had women make different signals to the men. They had attractive women, and they had what we might call plain Jane. And what they did is they manipulated the way that the women would signal the men. And again, these are attractive men, eligible bachelors, what have you. And they were seeing what prompted a man to go up to the woman to make contact, to say hello, maybe to say, can I buy you a drink? And it wasn't physical attractiveness that did it. Physical attractiveness gets your attention initially, so again, I go back to that, it's a screener variable, but it's not a deal closer. So more than physical attractiveness, what, a, what gets a person to act on that attractiveness is if the woman sends signals that we call go signals. If the plain Jane made eye contact with that eligible bachelor, gave him signals that said, I'm interested, come over, kind of talk to me. The nonverbals that speak to what you just said. I'm open, I'm comfortable, I want some sort of interaction. If the plain Janes made those type of nonverbal signals that predicted very well whether the man was going to go up to the person. Physical attractiveness alone did not predict that. So it's not just physical beauty. It is also those nonverbals that say, are you comfortable in your own skin? Are you open to a relationship? Are you the kind of person that is approachable and likable? 
And those are things that can be captured to some extent in online dating photos. But the advantage also is with online dating, many sites have webcams. In other words, you can simulate face-to-face -face contact interaction over the computer in a way that you can't do with just a telephone. You can see a person, interact with them, see if they're comfortable. And so you can approximate offline interactions, like I just mentioned, in cyberspace. So you get the best of both worlds, being comfortable, working at your own pace, but getting to know someone through safety, security, and on your own schedule. So for a site that's limited to just regular photographs as opposed to webcams, a really serious person about this could take several photographs of themselves, show it to someone of the opposite sex, and say, which one of these people would you feel most comfortable with? Which one would you most likely approach on a in a bar or if you just uh, saw the person online? And you might get a different answer than what your first choice would be. Exactly. There is, again, looking at a photo, the response of, wow, that person is attractive. Then there's the response of, I have to email this person. Those are two different things. Mm -hmm. There's attraction, but then, then there's also this attraction that also leads to an action, and that is, I want to make contact. And attraction itself will get someone's attention. That'll turn your head. You'll look at that profile. But then what a person sees about the person, the way they express themselves in words, the kinds of photographs that they choose, the kind of nonverbals that they read about the person in that photograph, those things will determine whether or not a person is prompted to make contact. That's why it's important for a person, when they put up an online profile, to not exaggerate any features about themselves or downplay features. You want to be as honest as possible because your job is to attract people that are going to like you and accept you for who you are, mm -hmm. or at least that are willing to get to know you, not make those kind of judgments of, I want someone that doesn't weigh as much. I'm looking for someone taller. I want someone that makes more money. So the more honest you are online, when someone does make contact, the more sure you are that this person is more likely a fit with you than if you had tried to hide those features. Exactly. We're talking with Dr. James Horan, who's a columnist for OnlineDatingMagazine.com, where he has several dozen articles, and I'm just real impressed with these articles. They're the best dating advice that I've seen, much less the best online dating advice I've seen, instead of just off-the-cuff advice you're citing the research and even footnoting the research. The column is Office Hours with Dr. Jim, and it's on OnlineDatingMagazine.com. Dr. Haran is also president of 2020 Skills, a company that does assessments and training services for the service industry. That would be like restaurants and hotels. And that website is www. 2020, the numbers 2020skills.com, 2020skills.com. We'll get back to Dr. Haran in just a minute, but first I'd like to talk to you for a minute about coaching. Just as success at online dating calls for being crystal clear about who you are and what you want, success at life calls for being very clear about who you are, what you want, and how you'll achieve it. Historically, psychologists have focused on fixing what's wrong with you. From almost 40 years of clinical experience, I'm very good at doing that, but what I most enjoy is helping successful people be even more successful and healthier. Just as athletes use coaches to achieve their full potential, 
Coaching by phone can help you achieve your full potential. If you have goals that you're having difficulty achieving or are interested in life makeover coaching to help you develop a comprehensive plan for your life, give me a call and I'll see if I can get you on my coaching schedule. The phone number is on all my websites and further information about my coaching is at drbricky.com. That's D-R-B-R-I-C-K-E-Y.com. Also on drbricky.com, you can read about the coaching I did with three women that was featured in six issues of Let's Live magazine. And now back to Dr. Haran. Dr. Jim, I remember years ago when I was single in a college town much older than the students, and it was a rural area, I put an ad in Columbus magazine. This was before the internet was much of anything. And I got about three dozen letters in the mail. It was such a rush. I could see how people could get hooked on just the attention of this. How can you know whether a person is just going for the adulation or the sport of the hunt as opposed to somebody who's at least somewhat serious? That's a good question. I wish there was a foolproof method for doing that. Unfortunately, there's not. But there are some signs that you can look out for that you can detect people that are we call players, people that are not really seriously interested in anything. It's just a quick fix for them. It's like an ego boost, as you might mention, versus someone that at least is open to exploring a a relationship, whether it's short-term or long-term. For example, if somebody is off from the very beginning, if they are very inappropriate in the kinds of photographs that they send you, in the kind of words that they choose, in the times of days, the, the day that they're trying to contact you, that's a good hint that this is somebody that's in it for the fantasy. If you start getting a bunch of emails from the same person and it's all during the work day and this person says that they work during the day, well, that seems very odd. If this person's not committed to their job or their job is to go around and try to seduce people online. So you look for these little telltale clues of is the person even appropriate? Do they have class? Do they have manners? Do they conduct themselves in a way that you would expect if you'd met someone in person? and they were a gentleman or a lady. The second thing is, you want to see how quickly they are trying to form a relationship with you. People that are in it for ego, they're trying to capture a trophy. For example, let's take a situation of a womanizer. Not necessarily a womanizer that works offline and and tries to have an affair with every woman that he meets, but a womanizer that's online. He still wants a trophy of some sort. He either wants the woman to disclose very personal information that suggests that this person is being submissive to him or wants to get her to sort of commit to an affair. Even though he may not have any intention of of going through with it, he just wants some form of power and control over the woman that says, well, if I really wanted her, I could have her. So you look for people, men or women, that try to move the relationship too quickly, too fast. We've all been through relationships. I'm sure a lot of your listeners don't need advice on knowing when someone seems to be pushing it, pushing the envelope trying to put pressure on them to move faster than they're ready for. Whenever you get those red signals, whenever something goes off in your head that says, wow, I'm just uncomfortable, this person seems to want to move this too fast, that could very well be the reason why. They're trying to get to a payoff, a punchline, and it's, again, trying to capture a trophy of some sort. Those are usually good indications. You want to have in your mind what is a healthy, serious relationship for you and, you know, what what you've experienced in the past and then match whether the pace of this is fitting that template. Exactly. And that's why online dating or dating in any environment first starts with the person. What are you looking for? What are your intentions? 
Are you dating as a way to audition people for a long-term relationship? Or are you dating just to kind of form connections with people? And if that leads to something romantic, well, so, so much the better. It's good to have that first in mind. You don't have to have something rigid in mind at first. You don't have to have some sort of a set plan, something that's carved in stone. But you need to know where your boundaries are. What kinds of agendas are you going to tolerate in somebody else? Because people tend to give what they get. And likewise, people get what they give. So you need to have firm in your mind what boundaries do you have with interacting with someone and what boundaries are you going to tolerate from other people. If you don't have that in mind, you can very easily be manipulated, very easily lead to a headache and a heartache. I like those principles that you attract what you project, that the more focused you are, the more you're going to get what you want, and that idea of boundaries. I think that's excellent. Yes, and I should make this point, though. The more deal breaker or makers that people have for themselves, the more criteria they've set for a soulmate or a partner, however you want to define that, the longer typically it will be to find someone that fits that exactly. Mm-hmm. So the more rigid our, our standards are, the longer the process tends to be that's going to fit someone, that's someone that's going to fit everything that you have in mind. Obviously, the looser parameters you have, the quicker you might find someone that you feel a connection with on some level. And so people need to have realistic expectations when they use online dating. It's true you connect with more people in a short period of time, but if you're very cued in on what you want in a person, it may take longer than if you were just opened up to any opportunity that presented itself. Mm-hmm. You use the word soulmate. When people are over 30 and I hear the word soulmate, uh, this little voice goes off in the back of my head that says, uh-oh, <laughs> uh, because... Most of the time when I've seen that, these are people who rush in with great passion and great drama, and a couple of months later, this wasn't the right one. I was betrayed, but and then a month later, it's a new soulmate. Has that been your experience? Well, absolutely. Soulmate is a poetic term, isn't it? It, mm-hmm. it, sounds, it sounds wonderful. It sounds like the thing that we all want to find. But soulmates do not exist. Soulmates in the sense of love at first sight, that, that just does not exist. It's important to remember that soulmates are made. We create them. Soulmate, you know, it just reminds me of a study. Because the soulmate view of romance and marriage is particularly strong among actually young adults. For example, there was one study that found that 94% of single men and women, we're talking ages between 20 and 29, agreed with the statement, when you marry, You want your spouse to be your soulmate, first and foremost. Is that true? They agreed with that. About 88% of people believed that there was one person out there who was specially destined to be their soulmate. So that is incredible. That's very much fantasy. And, And fortunately or unfortunately, it's very strong even today. And maybe it's actually more prevalent given the fact that nowadays disappointments can happen to everybody. Online dating has made it easier for people to connect, but it's also made it easier for them to also face rejection. Again, you have to kiss many frogs before you find that prince or princess. But yes, soulmate is a phrase that you're going to hear from young adults. They're very serious about it. But as people get older and wiser, they realize that soulmates don't exist, that you have to compromise. There is not some single person that was created just for you, that we actually are compatible with many different people. If we open our minds and our hearts, and we also have a good look at ourselves to what we need versus what we want in a partner, it's amazing how many different connections we can make with people. 
So a soulmate to me is a sign that people are probably being unrealistic in their expectations of what is going to make them happy. They have very idealistic notions of what's going to make them happy, and that comes from Hollywood. It comes from books and from TV. It does not come from a person getting to know other people in the real world and learning through experience what makes them happy and what kind of person do they actually conceive themselves with and live with, create a joint life with. An extreme version of that is the Hollywood version or the Greek myth version, where there's only of billions of people in the world, there's only one that was made for you, and the trick is just finding that person. To me, the most amazing marriage that I've ever heard of is James Carville and Mary Madeline. Carville <laughs> is a yes. Democratic commentator and political advisor, and Mary Madeline is a Republican. I read that they agree not to discuss politics at home, but to me, that's a lead into what's compatibility about? Is it being alike or being different? The answer is yes. <laughs> uh, what that means is this. There's a myth. It's a myth that psychologists have been uh, promulgating for some time and the general public buys into. And this myth has been created through basically research that wasn't very, it wasn't conducted very well. And the myth goes like this. There's two frames of reference. There's the principle of similarity. In other words, birds of a feather flock together. And that is the recipe for romance. Then you have another camp that says, no, it's opposites attract. That's the recipe for romance. And the myth is the fact that it's an either-or situation. The truth is you need both. You need similarities and you need differences to make a relationship work over the long term. Compatibility is not so much about physical stuff. It's not about the sex or attraction. That gets two people together, but it does not keep them together. The bond that holds people together is psychological compatibility. And compatibility is very simple in principle, but it's very complex in practice. So let me try to explain this a little bit. We need both similarities and differences to keep a couple's story interesting. A relationship is really a story that a couple writes every day. It's an ever-evolving story. It has ups, it has downs. It's a drama, it's a comedy, it's a romance. But it's a roller coaster ride. But it's a story that we write every day. And it's our choice when we get up in the morning how we're going to write that next chapter. When we're mad with our partners, the chapters tend to be very critical. We're very angry. And we tend to focus on things in our partners that actually are the same things that attracted to us in the first place. Let me give you an example. Let's say that I'm attracted to the woman because, oh my goodness, I'm terrible with money. I'm terrible with money, but she's so smart. Mm -hmm. She's so smart. She's so great with money. She manages so well. She completes me. She fills a hole or a void in my life. So when we're in a state of euphoria, we seize upon little characteristics in a person that we feel make them our soulmate. There's that little phrase again. Because they complete us. They somehow make us whole. But if I'm mad at her, well, then suddenly that same trait I can use to talk about why she's not my soulmate. Oh, look at her. So, you know, she's so controlling. She doesn't trust me with money. Again, we use little tidbits, we use little themes to create stories, but we can use those same themes and tidbits to create a romance or a drama. So we need differences and similarities so we can keep finding content to write an interesting story. If two people are so much alike, if people are virtual carbon copies of themselves, well, then one of those people is not necessary in the relationship. And we've all had this the situation where, especially in families where two people are so much alike that they're always fighting. Mm -hmm. So if people are too much alike, they can fight. Just like if people are too different, they can fight because they can find no common ground, no similarity, no foundation of shared meaning. So you need both similarity 
so you have a bond, a, a common frame of reference, but you need differences to add some spice to the relationship. You do need balance. And in some characteristics, you want to have similarity. In other traits, you want to have balance. In other words, you want to have differences. The trick is to find a recipe that works for the couple. Now, I'm not going to go into the deep-level science of compatibility because it's very complex. But we do know a lot about couples that tend to stay together over the long term. A lot of times, online dating sites have things like compatibility tests. And they tend to be based on the notion that similarity is better. You want two people to be as close in personality and lifestyle and worldview as possible. But there are other compatibility tests that take into account similarities and differences. But there is a good rule of thumb, and it goes like this, that romantic partners tend to show strong similarity in age, political views, and religious attitudes. They tend to show moderate similarity. In other words, you can have some fluctuation there when it comes to the couple's separation on things like education, their general level of intelligence, and their personal values. But couples that tend to stay together over the long term, they, need, they don't have to show any similarity whatsoever in their personalities. Mm -hmm. So you do need a mix. And successful couples that stay together and are happy over the long term, they have a healthy mix of similarities and differences, but it's up to the couple to determine what those should be, what's going to work for them. You made it at the beginning sound so mysterious, but it sounds like the similarities loads on the politics, religion, values, and to some extent in education, and the complementary part loads on personality. Well, it seems simple, but again, you need to understand that those are the characteristics or the traits that successful couples, generally speaking, can find agreement on. But that does not preclude people that have differences in politics or religion to have a successful relationship, just like you mentioned about Mary and Jane. So it all comes to down to this principle. There, there Actually, there's two of what's really going to predict whether a couple stays together, the bond or the glue that holds them together over time. First, do they have the capacity of looking at their partner and saying, the positives in this relationship outweigh the negatives? If the couple can do that, if they can find optimism, if they can find a silver lining to clouds in the relationship, they're going to be good over the long term. If they can find positives that outweigh the negatives, and they can do that on a daily basis, even though those positives may change, even though the negatives may change, if they can always find a way to, to see why they need to stay in the relationship, it's better to stay here than leave, they're going to be good over the long term. Okay, that's the first thing. And then couples also need to have a great way of communicating where they agree on what they can agree about. Now, that sounds weird. It sounds like a tautology, but a couple doesn't need to agree on everything. But they need to agree on what they absolutely have to agree on. They need to agree on what they can disagree on. If they can find agreement on issues that are most important to both of them, they're going to be fine. Money management, for example. If a couple can agree that the woman or the man needs to handle the money because the other person is not good at money or they don't have any interest in doing it, that's fine. But if one person decides on their own that they're going to handle the money for whatever reason, for control issues, out of habit or whatever, and the couple didn't agree jointly that that was what was going to happen, then the couple is doomed. So I guess it all comes down to this. The principle is managing expectations. If the couple can effectively manage expectations, they're going to be fine. But managing expectations is not something you do at just the beginning of the relationship. You do it every day. And if a couple can engage each other in a healthy way and manage expectations every day, they're going to be fine.
if they struggle with that process, they're destined to break up. And I would add, and to some extent it overlaps what you were saying with the last point, that how people handle conflicts is critical to any relationship, whether it's, you know, regardless of this compatibility or similarity kind of thing, that do any of the tests that some of these sites use have a way of measuring how well people handle and resolve conflicts? Some of them do, but many of the compatibility tests that people will be presented with are not necessarily scientific in nature, and they have to be very careful with where not only they, with the sites that they sign up with, but the time and sometimes the money they invest in a compatibility test. So it's good to do due diligence on these things to see what science is behind it, because by and large, there are not any standards that are adhered to when sites create these compatibility tests. Now, that said, there are a few very good ones, and some of them absolutely do take into account how people react to stress and handle conflict, as well as what kind of issues do people even define as a conflict? What you and your wife might see as a conflict may not be what another couple sees as a conflict. They may have a completely definition of what is a crisis, what is a problem. And so that's part of what makes a good couple, that they can agree on what matters and what doesn't. Of all the tests that you've seen, is there one online that you're most impressed with? There are a few that I'm very impressed with, and I, I don't know if, if it's if it's entirely appropriate for me to give advertisement to them. But sure. let me mention a few general principles that I think people should keep in mind with compatibility testing. And first, your listeners can read more about this. There are several articles I've written about online compatibility testing on onlinedatingmagazine.com. So they can read up and they can give a sense of what I certainly favor and would recommend. If a test, however, is simply going by similarity or simply going with difference, then they should avoid that test because looking at a partner simply in terms of how similar are they to me or how different, if it's an extreme view of one versus the other, that will not be an effective test. Mm -hmm. Two, if the test has no peer-reviewed scientific research that backs it up, they should avoid the test. And if the test is measuring something other than psychological compatibility, they should avoid the test. Right now, there are some tests that measure things like your DNA. <laughs> and it tries to get at evolutionary reasons why people may be attracted or not attracted to one another. I recommend that people avoid those things because that is pseudoscience. That's snake oil. So DNA dating is what it's called. I think people should avoid it. Any kind of test that claims to measure chemistry between two people, in other words, that raw attraction, that it's almost ephemeral, something that you, can, you really can't put your finger on. If a test claims to be able to measure that, they should avoid it. Science is not there yet. We've not been able to pinpoint what attracts people, makes them fall in love in, a, in a, an impulsive or chemical way. Good compatibility tests don't tell you if you're going to fall in love with someone in that way. Good compatibility tests only tell you, is it a good idea if you do? Is this the kind of person that, yeah, you can find love with, but can you live with them? That is a good compatibility test. And if people weren't sure what you meant by peer review, if it's peer reviewed, the site is going to talk about the scientific references and site journals where the research was done. So if you don't see that, you can assume it's not peer-reviewed. Exactly. If this was a test or a rationale or an approach that was endorsed by the scientific community, people would be hawking that. They would be using that to promote the test or the process. So if it's not there, you can assume that there probably isn't a large degree of firm scientific research to support what they're doing. We've heard endless eHarmony.com ads. What's eHarmony about and how good is their 
test that they tout? Well, eHarmony is brilliant in their marketing and their advertising. They really have branded the notion of compatibility. But I will say this. The company as a whole tends to have the philosophy of there are soulmates for us. And soulmates are defined in terms of people that are highly similar to you. They take an extreme view of that. I'm not very impressed with the philosophy of eHarmony's test or the way that it works from a mathematical standpoint. It's not a very sophisticated test. Okay? Mm-hmm. And there's not any peer-reviewed research that shows that their test matches people for long-term relationships. They talk that they have a high marriage rate. Unfortunately, they don't tell us what the divorce rate is. Mm-hmm. And so from one point of view, I could say that eHarmony is actually contributing to the divorce rate because the divorce rate is about 50%. And so if 50% of marriages, of all marriages in the U.S., end in divorce, then I have to assume that 50% of eHarmony's marriages end in divorce as well. They tell us about marriages, but they don't tell us how likely it is that you're going to get married, which is not very likely at all. And they don't tell us what the divorce rate is. So you can match people up and they can get married, but do they stay together? We never hear that research from eHarmony, and there's probably a reason why. Now, I give them the benefit of the doubt, and maybe that research is being peer-reviewed right now, and any day there'll be a press release that says that this big, prestigious journal has published a study that says eHarmony has bottled the recipe for romance, for long-term attraction and long-term relationship stability, but I'm not holding my breath. Hmm. Now, there's another reason why people may not really want to go with eHarmony. Two, it can be an expensive process, very time-consuming, and three, the test itself is extremely long. A person has to go through and answer about 300 questions just to complete the process. And the questionnaire is the process at eHarmony. It's not a choice of whether you do the assessment or the compatibility test. You're forced to do it. Mm-hmm. That's, that is their method by which they're pairing you with people. Other sites give you an option of either searching on your own or taking some sort of a compatibility test, like Plenty of Fish. They don't just have one compatibility test. They actually have several different tools that people can use to get to know themselves as well as be matched with other people. But it's a choice. That control is left to the user. With eHarmony, you do not have that control. And when you're answering 300 questions, I mean, think about that. You're investing about an hour to an hour and a half of your time, which would be a good investment if the test worked. But 300 questions, by the time you're done, you could have met someone, married them, divorced, and started on your second marriage already. <laughs> Obviously, you didn't give MMPI tests very often. <laughs> I am trained to do MMPI as well as MCMI tests and as well as intelligence testing. And these are tests that work, but we know that they work because of peer-reviewed research. I know. And the same cannot be said for other types of tests, including certain compatibility tests. Uh, in one of your columns, you said plenty of fish not only does testing, but also testing and coaching. Where's the coaching part come in? It's a brand new approach, and that is compatibility testing tends to be a black box this system uses some unknown algorithm to pair you with someone else, and then they sort of leave you be. If you have a better compatibility test, it at least tells you in which way you're compatible and what way you may not be compatible. But that kind of thing is very sophisticated. But Plenty of Fish has helped pioneer this new process, and that is it meshes or or marries, no pun intended, compatibility testing in a traditional sense with date coaching. So it doesn't just give you feedback. It gives you feedback in terms of guidance for what you need to know about another person. What sort of issues should you anticipate? What issues are you not thinking about but you should? In other words, it kind of turns a compatibility test from a black box into one of those magic eight balls where you can ask a question and it's going to give you guidance on what the answer should be. 
So it's not just pairing up people and letting them take it from there. It's pairing up people and then giving them tools and questions and exercises to help nurture that relationship. So it's giving them tools to take it from there after they've been matched, take it from there and move the relationship on. And all this is built into the feedback. The mathematics that drives the kinds of tools that you see on Plenty of Fish are extremely advanced mathematics. The same kind of mathematics that they use in the GRE, the MCAT, and the ACT assessments for educational testing. And because of those mathematics, they're able to actually identify insights and idiosyncrasies about people that traditional mathematics completely misses. But it's those little idiosyncrasies that will help us get to know a person better and know how to engage them and work with them, communicate, and establish again that couple story that they're going to need as they move along. That is impressive. It's very impressive. And this is just actually version one. I'm just uh, amazed at what could be done with compatibility testing and date coaching if we apply more resources to the task. So compatibility testing today is not going to be the compatibility testing we see five years from now. And I'm just very excited about where it could go. Back to my follow the money question. I looked on the Plenty of Fish website and I didn't see many ads. It's a free service. How are they making their money? Well, Plenty of Fish is a portal. What that means is they get people into the corral by offering free services, free tests, free searching. It's, a, it's its own dating site in and of itself. But if people want to, in their minds, upgrade to a paid dating site, maybe a niche site, maybe one of the larger sites, well, they can go to one of those larger sites through Plenty of Fish. So what happens is paid dating sites pay Plenty of Fish to promote their paid services and if one of those customers does graduate or does move up to one of the paid sites, well, then the owner of Plenty of Fish gets a kickback. So you could even have that coaching saying people like you do especially well with a niche site for Republicans, and then they get the commission from that site that serves Republicans. It will exactly. Exactly. So we shouldn't poo-poo pay dating sites. They're very good for what they are. And in some ways, they're even more effective than the paid dating sites. You, you don't necessarily get a lower quality of individual on a paid site versus a free site. But it just has to do with what is your agenda. And certain sites are associated with certain types of agendas. eHarmony, you don't think of casual dating with eHarmony. You think of long-term relationship. You think marriage. On the other side of the spectrum is Match.com. If you're on Match.com, that does not presuppose that you're looking for a soulmate at all. So again, the kinds of sites that you will see advertised at Plenty of Fish or, or just online, you need to think about what is my agenda, does that fit with my value system, what I'm looking for in a potential partner, is that what I want? And if it is, I encourage you to explore. And if it's not, look elsewhere, because the options are tremendous. You will find what you're looking for if you are persistent with online dating. Want to note one other thing that we don't have time to go into, and that's that a lot of people are finding dates through sites like Facebook and MySpace and that kind of thing, which requires a lot more sophistication in knowing how to do it. But I wanted to note that it is out there. And I wanted to close with one last question. In terms of where the future of online dating is, I suspect we're going to see more and more sophistication that you were describing in Plenty of Fish. You described the more video taping. What else do you think is going to happen technologically that's going to make it more sophisticated? 
You know, that's a good question, and I've seen a lot of people try to make predictions, and those predictions almost always fail. <laughs> you know, one of the big predictions was a few years ago, it's going to be cell phone dating, mobile dating. Online dating sites are going to give you an alert when someone that seems to be a match with you, hmm. either because they meet some of your general criteria for age and body type and whatnot, you know, is in your area. So you can meet them right now. That is not taken off. And some things that have taken off in America have not taken off in other parts of the world and vice versa. So it's going to be interesting to see what really happens with the future of online dating. I keep hearing that industry insiders are saying we need to make it as close as possible to what happens in the real world. If we can make online dating more like dating is in the real world, it'll be more of a success. And, you know, I, I don't really buy that. If that was true, then people would never use online dating. Online dating must give people something that they don't get with traditional dating. It must. Otherwise, it would not have taken mm -hmm. off as much as it has. And we know people use online dating quite a bit, but they, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to meet someone offline. So just the experience of online dating is rewarding in and of itself, apparently, for many people, regardless of whether or not you actually meet someone and take that relationship offline. Now, that quality of what is it about online dating that is so appealing, I imagine it has something to do still with the fantasy of it all, that you get a rush, that it feeds your ego, that when you log in and you see that people are winking at you or they're sending you emails, and you're not getting that attention just from one person, but you're getting it from many people, that gives you a rush that you can't get with traditional kinds of dating. And I think it is that element of expanding your horizon getting experiences that you otherwise could never have had in the real world that is drawing people to online dating and keeping them there in large part. So the way that an online dating site can bottle that more and actually feed that fantasy, I think will actually be where online dating goes next. That doesn't mean that that site still can't deliver long-term relationships or marriage or casual encounters, but the more that they make that online experience entertaining and engaging in and of itself, that is, I think, the future of online dating, to enhance the process of online dating rather than trying to make it a carbon copy of what happens in the real world. And, of course, the beauty of the Internet is it doesn't matter what theories people come up with. It self-selects according to what works on the basis of what people click on. That's exactly right. So unlike traditional dating, where it's really kind of one-on-one, -on -one, I approach a girl or a girl comes up to me, dating sites are really communities. And that's why sites like MySpace and Friendster and, you know, Facebook, those are the world's largest dating sites, even though they're not advertised as such. People like feeling part of a community. And these sites give people a, a community. They give them a club. They give them a family. And that sense of belonging is also probably a very strong motivator why people stay with online dating. They feel a sense of belonging. And sometimes people don't have that in their real lives. They don't find that in the real world but they can find a place that they can belong to on the Internet, in cyberspace, because there will always be a community that matches your interests and your needs and what you want in life. You can't say the same thing for local clubs, associations, and, and friends, but you can always find something that you're looking for online, which means that really you're never really rejected with online dating. You have a way of creating such a more positive image for online dating than most people have. I, I think it's wonderful. We've been talking with Dr. James Horan, a columnist for OnlineDatingMagazine.com, 
where he has several dozen articles. And as I said earlier, very high quality articles that are research-based. His column, Office Hours with Dr. Jim, is on OnlineDatingMagazine.com. And he's also president of 2020 Skills, that's 2020 Skills, which is a company that does assessment and training for service industry businesses. And that website is 2020skills.com. Dr. Jim Haran, thank you so much for a fascinating look into online dating. I learned a lot and have a lot more positive view of online dating. Well done. Well, I appreciate it. We all need love in our life. And you're never too young or you're never too old. I guess you could be too too young, but you're never too old to add romance and some spice in your life. And online dating is an opportunity for people to find companionship in ways that they otherwise may not have had. So I encourage everyone to at least explore it and decide for themselves after looking at it whether it's for them or not. See, you're an incurable romantic as well. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Great. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. Take care. Commentary. What can we say about online dating and Dr. Jim's advice? The power of internet dating is perhaps best illustrated in that Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movie, You've Got Mail. In real life, they would have been mortal enemies because of his Barnes & Noble style chain that was going to build a store near hers and put her little shop around the corner out of business. On the internet, they got to know and trust each other, gave advice and support to each other, became great friends and confidants. In the end, that proved to be strong enough to overcome their business adversary history. To paraphrase the first line of A Tale of Two Cities, online dating is the best of dating and the worst of dating. It can help people cast a wide net and be more comfortable and honest than in those anxious, ridden first dates. On the other hand, it has its share of addicts and players and sickos, just like most things on the internet. To summarize Dr. Jim Haran's advice, novices probably do best by starting with large free sites like plentyoffish.com to get the feel for online dating. Once they get that feel, they may want to move on to niche sites. The biggest mistake people make is not investing enough time and efforts in well-thought-out postings and engaging photographs that are friendly and attractive. The other big mistake that people often make is not being clear about who they are and what they're looking for. It's not magic, it's a process of increasing your odds of success. I especially like the idea that it isn't necessarily the most glamorous photo, but often the most friendly and approachable one that gets the click. On similarity and compatibility, it appears that similarity helps with religion and values and perhaps politics, and is somewhat important for education and intelligence, but when it comes to personality, it's very hard to predict what works. Finally, Dr. Haran suggested that rather than just matching for similarities, as eHarmony.com does, the most sophisticated online dating is assessing and coaching, in which assessments can give suggestions on where and how to look and how to present yourself. Of course, this runs the risk of the advice being self-serving for the paid services as opposed to objective advice that's in your best interest. Finally, I'd suggest that whether it's online dating or face-to-face dating, one of the most important things to look for is how people handle stress and adversity 
it's a real measure of maturity and one of the key factors in how well a relationship works. Baby steps. I always like to leave listeners with a little baby step, a little tweak in their thinking or their behavior that contributes to our goal of living longer and healthier and happier. It's amazing how the internet has shrunk the world and made it easy to have friends all over the world. If you don't already think of the internet as a source for meeting interesting people and making friends, join the younger generations in tapping this great resource. So the baby step is simply make sure that you think of the internet as a great way of making friends all over the country, all over the world. It's hard to feel alone and isolated and unconnected when you have friends all over the country and all over the world. This is anti-aging psychologist Dr. Michael Bricky on Ageless Lifestyles Radio on webtalkradio.net. A reminder for information on anti-aging psychology or to subscribe to my free Defy Aging newsletter, go to my portal site, notaging.com, N-O-T-A-G-I-N-G.com, where you can link to all of my information and services, including speaking services, books and hypnosis CDs, and the personal coaching to help you be more successful. Remember, I'd love to get your feedback and comments. Just send them to radio at agelesslifestyles.com. That's radio at agelesslifestyles.com. And until next week, thank you for joining us on our quest to live longer, healthier, and happier.